All right, the scripture for today is going to be found in Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out of the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied and as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Good morning. Um, if you are new at BC, one of the things we do on the, the first and third Sunday of the month is we have kids in service with us. And so there is a, a kid sermon where we try to engage kids with what we're, what we're talking about that day. And so kids, where are you guys at? Raise your hands for me. All right. So my first question for you is... Uh, so Mr. Stephen read this passage for us. This passage is called The Valley of Dry Bones. Maybe a little spooky, right? Sounds like it would fit more with maybe Halloween than Christmas time, right? But there's a reason why we're talking about it today. The reason why we're talking about it is at the end of the passage, God says that the people, the people of God are like those dry bones. And the reason why they're like the dry bones is because they say, we don't have any hope. What is, what is hope? Who can tell me what hope is? What do you think, Marshall? So it's like knowing that you can do it, like saying, I have hope that I'm going to get my favorite toy for Christmas. What do you think, Ethan? What? Something you believe, right? Yeah, absolutely. Josie? When you're excited for something? Absolutely. Ben? 
Trusting in something? Yeah, like you guys are all right. Hands down. Great answers. Hope is it's thinking that something's going to happen. It's being excited about something. It's believing that it's going to happen. It's looking to the future and saying, like, I have confidence. I have hope that this thing is going to work out, that it's going to be good, that I'm going to get that present that I want. Today, we're talking about hope in God, that he's on our side, that he's going to keep our promises. And what we read in Ezekiel is that there's just God... Ezekiel's this prophet. He takes them to this valley. He gives them this vision. He's just surrounded by bones. And then God tells Ezekiel to speak to these bones, to prophesy, to speak the word of the Lord to them, that they would like assemble into bodies and then flesh comes on them. And then God puts breath in them. He, he brings these bones back to life. See, the reality is like a big, a big pile of bones doesn't have any hope. Right? It's not excited. It's not looking to the future with confidence. It's not hopeful that it's going to get that present for Christmas. It's dead, right? But this passage is a great picture of what Jesus does to us in the gospel. Right? Paul says that we were, when we were dead in our sins, God made us alive in Jesus. He puts us back together. He picks us up. He moves us from a place where we don't have any hope to a place where we have hope in Christ. And so kids, what I want to encourage you to do is is to go home and ask your parents about what they learned today about the hope that we have in Jesus and, and what that should do in our lives because of who he is and what he's done. So let's pray and then we'll get into our passage this morning. Father, we thank you that you did not and have not and and will not leave us alone in our sin. But that when we were dead, when we were, were separated from you and without hope in the world, you sent Jesus to save us. That, that Christ was born for us. For, for me. And so we pray this morning that whether we walked in these doors feeling hopeful or, or, or hopeless, that you would confront us with, with the realities of your word by your spirit. And, and that the good news of, of who Jesus is and what he's done for us would produce hope in us. And that hope in us would have its intended effect in our lives as we walk it out in obedience. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf, that that you are the offering even though we have nothing. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the first thing you probably notice is that this room looks different than normal and the hallway looks different than normal. That's because it's Christmas time, right? And, and some lovely, skilled, talented people spend a lot of time decorating the building and it looks fantastic. Um, and I probably say this every single year, maybe, but I'm going to say it again. Advent is my favorite time at BC, right? Like if we could just do Advent all year long, uh, then it wouldn't be our favorite time anymore. But it's great. Like this year, we're going to do the kind of the traditional Advent themes of hope, peace, joy, love. And so today we're talking about hope. Um, 
And I think one of the reasons, I mean, there are a lot of reasons why I love Advent. I love, I love the Christmas music that we sing and worship. I love, I love the building being decorated. Uh, I love just getting to, to focus on Advent with you all, like in a time where things get busy, they already are busy, and then they feel even busier, when a time when it's, when it's stressful, uh, like just to be able to kind of slow down together as a church and focus on what Jesus has done uh, is, is vital. And it, it's something that I know I need, especially this year, right? to focus on the reality that Jesus came down here to earth to fix what was broken, to make all things new, to make me new, um, and to, to finally and fully restore what's broken in this world, that he came and that he's coming back to do that. And so today we're talking about hope, and we're going to start in Ezekiel 37, which Stephen read for us, even though this is a, a weird place to begin Christmas. Uh, and we're going to move to Titus 3 in the New Testament, where we see these promises fulfilled in Jesus. So, Ezekiel 37 is the Valley of Dry Bones. And I mean, it's, it's just a really cool passage. And even though it seems like a strange thing for God to take Ezekiel into this Valley of Dry Bones, that's actually one of the more normal things that happens in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, but this passage is a beautiful picture of what God does to us in the gospel. Uh, both in how he changes us, how he gives us life, and also in how he gives us hope when we were hopeless. And so, Ezekiel 37, God, God sets him down in this valley of dry bones, and he kind of leads Ezekiel among all those bones. Ezekiel sees that there's a bunch of bones and that the bones are very dry. So they've been, they've been dead for a while. These are, these are like dead, dead, dry bones. They're, they're, they're super dry. And the Lord asks Ezekiel a question. He says, can these bones live? And Ezekiel, right, like he, he probably thinks the answer is no. But he also knows that the Lord is asking him this question. And so there's, it's, it's, it's kind of a trap. And so he says, like, oh, God, you know, right? Like, you know the right answer. I don't. And so then the Lord tells him to prophesy. It says, say to the bones, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And this says, thus says the Lord God to these bones. Verses five and six. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So he's gonna, God is telling Ezekiel, you're gonna speak to these bones and then I'm gonna bring them back to life. I'm gonna cause them to be restored and he's gonna cause them to know the Lord. So he's bringing them back to life and he's bringing them back into relationship with himself. So Ezekiel, he does what God tells him to do. He, he speaks, he prophesies to these bones, and then he hears all of these bones start to rattle. And then one by one, bone by bone, they, they come back together and tissue and skin cover them. And then God tells Ezekiel to prophesy so that breath is given to these bones. And then they live. They, they stand there in exceedingly great army. So what was once a, a, a valley of dead bones is alive in front of him. And then starting in verse 11, God is going to explain what Ezekiel is seeing. He says this. He says, These bones are the whole house of Israel. 
Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. So this is how they feel. This is, this is where the people are, of God are at. Like at this point, Ezekiel is prophesying to Judah who are, who are in exile. So in kind of the, the history of God's people in the Old Testament, at, at this point, uh, the, the northern kingdom of Assyria, or the northern kingdom of Israel, was, was taken out by Assyria. Assyria came in, they conquered them, they, they scattered them. Uh, and then later, Judah and Jerusalem were, were conquered, destroyed, and exiled by Babylon. So Ezekiel is talking to God's people from Judah and Jerusalem who are exiled in Babylon. So they've been, they've been defeated. They've been taken down. God's judgment has been poured out on them for their sin and rebellion. And so they're at a place where they're in a foreign land and they feel hopeless. Their, their bones are dried up. Like all is lost, and they're in a hopeless situation. And the reason why this matters is because what's happening, like one of the things that's happening in Ezekiel 37 is that God is, is explaining how he's going to fulfill some of the promises he made in Ezekiel 36. So listen to this. I'm going to read Ezekiel 36, 22 through 32. God says to Ezekiel, he says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God, and I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. And I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourself for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. So before this passage in Ezekiel 36, God is explaining how he's poured out judgment on his people. It's because of their, their continual sin and rebellion and rejection of him. And the result of this is that God's name is, is profaned in Israel and his name is profaned among the nations. So in, in the passage we read in Ezekiel 36, he's, he's explaining how he's going to take action for his people to kind of redeem his name among the nations. He's not doing it for them. He's doing it for the sake of his name. And it's, it's how he's going to uphold his, his covenant with his people. Really, it's how he's going to establish a, a new covenant with them. He's going to vindicate his name by, by bringing them back to the land. And when he brings them back, he says he's going to sprinkle clean water on them. He's going to clean them from, from, from all their uncleanness. He's going to cleanse them from all their idols. 
Then he says he'll give them a new heart and put a new spirit within them. He's going to take out their heart of stone. He's going to give them a heart of flesh. And look at verse 27. He says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So he's going to do a a spiritual work within them that's going to enable them to to walk in obedience. He's going to push them towards obedience. He's going to make them the people that they've always been supposed to be. And then he goes on to talk about how he's going to give the land abundant produce. They're not just going to be brought back. It's It's going to prosper And the result of this is that they're going to remember the wrong they've done, and they're going to be grieved by their sin. And then he he reminds them again that he's doing these things for his name. And at this point, if you've been been reading the Old Testament, right, you've seen Israel, you've seen Judah again and again and again go through this cycle where they, they sin against God, they, they rebel against him. They reject him. They worship idols. They do the things they know they're not supposed to do. God sends a prophet or a leader or someone to confront them in their sin. Judgment comes. Then they're restored. And then the cycle starts all over again. And they do it time and time again. And so if you have been reading that and you've been following the story, then you get to this point in Ezekiel 36 where God says, I'm going to change things. The question that we should be asking is, how is he going to do this? Like, how is he going to move them from a people who are like stuck in this cycle to be people that are enabled to walk in obedience, who walk in his statutes, who are careful to obey his rules? I think the answer comes in Ezekiel 37. What he's saying is, I'm going to make my people new. I'm going to move them from, from death to life. I'm going to take these dry bones that have no hope, that have no life, and he's going to give them hope. He's going to give them life. Look at what he says at the end of this passage we read, verses 12 and 14 in chapter 37. He says, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. So God's people don't have hope. Their hope is lost, and he's going to give people hope by fulfilling his promises to them, to bring them back to life. He's going to put a new heart in them. He's going to put a new spirit in them. He's going to enable them to have life and hope once again. This is the the promise of where their hope is going to come from. So now, let's go to Titus 3, and we're going to see how Jesus is the fulfillment of these hope-filled promises in Ezekiel. So I'm going to read Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Paul here says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, 
by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So in Titus, what Paul is doing is he's writing this letter to this guy named Titus, who's, who's at Crete, and he's telling him, hey, Titus, this is how you should structure, this is how you should organize, this is how you should lead the church there. And so he starts in chapter 3 by, by reminding him uh, to say, or he tells him, remind the people of these things. Be, be submissive to rulers, be obedient, be ready for every good work, speak evil to no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle, show courtesy. So Paul here wants Titus to remind the people, hey, like this is who you should be. Like these are the kind of things you should do as a church. This is the kind of people you're called to be. So first, they're called to submit to rulers and authorities who are over them. Right? They're, they're to submit to these people that God has put in place over them. Number two, they're called to be obedient, to, to do what God has told them to do. They're called to be ready for every good work, every good work, not just the good works we like, not just the good works that come easy for us, not just the good works we want to do, all the good works. They're called to speak evil of no one. Again, no one. It's not okay to speak evil of those people because they did that one thing, right? Speak evil of no one. Show perfect courtesy, wait, sorry, I skipped, to avoid quarreling. This word here for quarreling, it literally, literally means something like to be like without fight or without battle. Like that's who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be peaceful, peaceable people. Uh, instead of speaking evil, instead of quarreling, they're called to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy to all people. Two questions here. What kind of courtesy do we show? Perfect. Like the most possible, complete courtesy we can show in a situation, that's what we're supposed to show. And who do we show the courtesy to? Everyone. So if you're going about your day and you're like, hey, is this a person I should show courtesy to? The answer is yes. What kind of courtesy? The best kind. This is what Paul wants Titus to remind them of. Remind them to, to be like this. Why? Why should Titus remind the church about this? Look at verse 3. This is going to remind you of what we've seen in Ephesians. He says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Paul says, Titus, remind these people to live differently. And the reason why you should remind them to live differently is because they're different people than they were before. They used to be like that. They're not anymore. And so they should live differently. Why are they different? What has, what has changed about them? Look at verses four through seven. But, this is like when Paul in Ephesians says, you were dead in your sins, but God in Christ made us alive. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, 
He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So first of all, like this is essentially like the gospel in a nutshell. And so no, like we are not going to exhaustively cover everything here because it's the gospel and it like we can't plumb the depths of it. But we're going to we're going to we're going to make some progress. First, he says Jesus appeared, right? So he came to earth. Christmas time, right? He was born of a woman. He was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. He came to save us. And Paul says he saved us not based on us. Right? Not based on any works we had done in righteousness not based on anything we have done or will do. Instead, it was based on his own mercy. It's because of his own mercy. He saved us when when we were helpless to save ourselves because he is merciful. And then he's going to tell us the, the means of our salvation, right? We were saved not because of who we were, but because of who he is. And then he's going to say, this is how you were saved. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So he, he regenerated us, right? He, he generated us again. He caused us to be born again, to be made alive. He gave us life. And we weren't just remade. We were also renewed by the Holy Spirit who God poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. He gave us a bunch of the Spirit. Why did he save us in this way? Like, what's, what's the result of it? Look at verse 7. So that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So he saved us, and he saved us in this way, so that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life, because we've been justified by grace. So the goal here is us having hope that we would inherit eternal life. There's a different translation that I want to throw up on the slide. It's the, the New English translation right here. And I think it, it, it helps us understand what hope is here. And so, since we have been justified by his grace, we become heirs with the confident expectation of eternal life. It means that we are we are confidently expecting eternal life. Piper says that that hope is is future-oriented faith, right? So we as believers put our faith and trust in Jesus, looking back at what he's done for us on the cross. But hope looks forward. It's it's forward-looking faith and embraces the reality that, that he who has saved us is saving us right now and will save us eventually, right? It's having a a confident expectation that he who began a good work in us is going to carry it to completion. So faith looks back on, on all the promises. And with Paul says, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And hope looks forward to the reality that Jesus is coming again to to fix everything that is broken in us and everything that's broken in this world. And so in Ezekiel, right, their, their bones 
are dried up. Their hope was lost. There, there, there was no confident expectation that anything good was going to happen in the future. But God promised them that he was going to send his spirit to bring them to life, to give them new life, to change their hearts. He's going to put his own spirit within them. He was going to enable them and empower them to keep his commands and walk in obedience. Because of Jesus, Paul is saying God's people once again have hope because he's kept his promises. Now look at verse 8. Paul says, the saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So Paul, in Titus 3, he reminds Titus to remind them to not be who they were before, but to be different. They're supposed to be different because they've been saved. They've been renewed and regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And then he says, this saying is trustworthy. This is Paul's way of saying, like, pay attention to what I'm about to say, Titus. And then he says, insist on these things. So he's he's pressing on Titus the importance of of what he's about to say. He's impressing on him the importance of of this gospel that he's just unpacked. He's saying, don't neglect teaching these things. Why? Why should Titus insist on these things? Why should he fight for these things? So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. So first of all, recognize how similar this is in what Paul is saying in Titus to what we read in Ezekiel 37. He said, I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now Paul is saying, insist on these things so that they will be careful to obey my rules. So in the Old Testament, God promised that he was going to break the the ongoing, continual cycle of sin and rebellion. He was going to do that by giving them new life, by regenerating them from dry bones, by by giving them new hearts, by putting his spirit within them, and that would lead to them walking in his statutes and carefully obeying his rules. And this promise is kept by the gospel truths that Paul is unpacking in Titus 3. And Paul wants Titus And I would say he wants us to insist on this gospel truth that this is how people are saved, not by works done by us in righteousness, but by grace through faith in Jesus, so that the people in Crete and so that the people of BC would carefully devote ourselves to good works. Our confident expectation that we will inherit eternal life is not primarily because of any good works we do. No. Paul says it's that we've been justified by grace. But then he says that faith in the gospel, it leads to us being justified by grace through faith. And us being justified by grace through faith leads to a hopeful, confident expectation that we will inherit eternal life. And those things together, gospel faith plus gospel hope, will result in us being people who carefully devote ourselves to good works. We don't just do good works. We are carefully, thoughtfully, intentionally devoted to them. Gospel faith plus gospel hope makes good works matter to God's people so that they put time and effort into doing good works. 
and gospel faith plus gospel hope uh, make it so that God's people are carefully devoted to good works. They don't just begrudgingly or, or unwillingly do good works. No, gospel faith, gospel hope, it results in us being people who are devoted to them, who, who actually want to do the things he's calling us to do. And so, as this, this Christmas season draws closer, I'm fairly confident, I wouldn't say hopeful because this is going to be negative, but I'm fairly confident that at, that at some point over the next few days or, or weeks, that you are going to grow weary of doing good. And maybe, maybe at many points, you're going to grow weary of doing good. Like you'll, you'll wake up and you'll say, I'm just not feeling it today. I do not want to carefully devote myself to good works today. Maybe you'll be in the middle of a conversation with, with your spouse or with one of your kids or, or someone else, and you'll think, you know, I don't want to carefully devote myself to good works in this conversation. Maybe you're at a place with, with someone in your life, and you think, like, I just, I just can't keep on carefully devoting myself to good works in this relationship. Like you want to, to quit to, to give in, to, to give over to selfishness and cynicism or, or anything but the things that you know that you should be doing. Like in those moments, I am and you are like Israel. We are, we are dry bones. We are people without hope that feel cut off. And so in those moments, I, I need and you need to remember two things. First, because of Jesus, the God who raises the dead, who brings dead bones to life, lives in you. Right? He, is, he has made you new and he's making you new. And he's given you a new heart. You are who you are, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. He's given you a new heart. He's put his spirit within you so that you would be able to do what he said. So that you would be someone who, who it's an option to carefully devote yourself to good works. That's the first thing. Remember who Jesus is and what he's done in you and what he's doing in you and what he'll continue to do. The second thing and I want you to remember is that Paul points Titus and he points us to, to gospel faith and, and gospel hope so that those things would affect us, so that they would change us, so they would transform us, so that it would be part of the process that's, that's bringing that work to completion, so that it would lead to us carefully devoting ourselves to good works. So let it have that effect on you, right? Even though you feel like dry bones, remember that you've been made new. Remember that you've been made new for good works that you should walk in them. So walk in them, right? Dig in in those conversations you don't want to have. Dig in in those relationships you don't want to have. Get out of bed and say, I'm going to do good works anyway because of who Jesus is in me. Right? Like, I don't have the strength to do it, but he does. This Advent, 
remember that even when you feel hopeless, because of Jesus, we have hope. Right? We have the, the confident expectation, not just of inheriting eternal life one day, but of actually walking in that new life today. And so let's be people who, who with gospel faith and with gospel hope, carefully devote ourselves to good works. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus to save us, not because of anything we could do or have done, but according to your own mercy. And that because of Jesus, you sent your spirit to to regenerate us, to give us life, to give us new hearts, to put your spirit within us. You've remade and renewed us. We thank you that we have been saved, been justified by grace. That's not dependent upon us so that we would have hope that will actually happen. Because we know that even though we're not able, you are. That we, because of you, can have a confident expectation of inheriting eternal life. That the good work you began in us will be brought to completion. And so we pray today that the same spirit that you put in us to make us alive, would mobilize us, would motivate us, that the the gospel faith we believe and and the gospel hope with which we expectantly look toward the future with would, would make us people, cause us to be people who carefully devote ourselves to good works. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are and what you've done for us. Jesus, we thank you that you've made us new. And we pray that you would empower us to let that newness out into our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen.